I'm a Yahweh. Again, able to be a conduit for your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom that you share with and through me for others that hear perfectly listening to what's being said and going to your word and seeking answers, truth through the spirit that you give to us freely. Guide us, Father God. So <clears throat> sharing today was actually uh, Holy Spirit was speaking last night, early this morning, and time sharing, and some things that were made known, but I'm going to start with this thing that, that I have that was revealed that I need to, uh, <laughs> I need to exercise greater caution in. It's not a... Um, I've allowed the diffusing and the downplaying and the white noise interference to mask what it really is. And what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters, and we all are guilty of this, actually. And yes, I'm using that word, guilt, because we are. It's something that we all do. <laughs> but what the Spirit revealed to me is that something I've shared with you a number of times and I'm going to keep doing it because it's revealed often that it is a continuing exercise that is used and I've shared but with you already that the white noise interference that Satan loves to pour out and have his minions and demons utilize this all the time especially against Christians or those that claim to be Christians, the label heads and self-proclaimed Christians, especially in that ilk, that it's a thing that we think is very trivial. And that's exactly what he wants us to believe, is that it is so trivial that it really doesn't matter. And yet the Lord cautions us against this thing. What am I talking about? I'm talking about complaints. Complaints. I've shared with you before that God does not operate a complaint department like Macy's or anything like that where you can go in and you just register a complaint, maybe about one of the cashier's clerk's employees or a display, something distasteful, or about products, something directly. But basically, it's a place where you go and you just, most oftentimes, it, it's just a fruitless place. It's just where you go and expend gases. God does not function that way. God will hear things that are troubling to you, but God is the repairer, Mender, corrector, redeemer, savior, our good, good father. And complaints really are, tend to be very fruitless. I, I shared with you uh, when I was younger, 
And this is what I caution against is this older lady, beautiful woman, always in church and always helping out in the church. But it seemed that whenever you would get near her, you, it would start out as a great, you know, just a greeting. I'd greet her, give her a kiss on the cheek. Oh, how you doing, sister? And, you know, that's in my church. It's what you always did. Somebody was a brother or somebody was a sister. That's what you began with. And um, it always seemed to be the same, same thing. Oh, all right, considering. Oh, all right, considering. There's always that considering factor. And then off to the races. Sometimes you'd have to hold on really tight because she would take off. And that steed of complaint was flying at a great rate of speed. And the thing that is very subtle that Satan loves to get us to do, especially with those that are believers or label heads or self-proclaimed Christians, but he also plays that little game with true believers. And the spirit is revealed to me that I need to be cautious because I'm kind of on the edge of that myself, personally. I've shared with you already that I speak when I share that I am speaking into this little oval mirror that floats around in front of me. So I'm not just talking out there and, and this is not just for you. And because of my anonymity, I think I can get away with it and just dump on you folks. That's not what this is about. This is about God's truth. And the love that he pours out on me that I am compelled to share with you. And why? Because he loved me. So I need to share that with you. And in loving on you all, I need to share with you that I am I'm not impervious to these things. And any Christian that claims that they are, if they're a true believer, any let me rephrase. Let me I'm gonna back up. Let me rephrase. Any true Christian knows that they are under assault by the enemy, just as anyone else, and anyone that claims to be a Christian, and they say that they are not, and that it's not real, and it's not true, and that that doesn't ever, and, and here's, the, here's the big red flag. <clears throat> if they tell you, that they don't ever have any problems and that, you know, everything that other individuals that are saying that they're Christian are having the problem. Well, I don't ever seem to have that problem. That doesn't ever bother me. Hmm. I don't have these issues. Well, let me share something with you this. And I, I believe I may have done this previous with y'all. That's okay. I'll do it again. Any person that claims that they don't have any issues and that Satan leaves them alone, ponder this. That they're either a liar or that they are already his and he's not going to bother them. 
ponder that, chew on it, and that's in the scriptures. If they already belong to him, of course, why is he going to waste time with directing any issues to come against him? He might have his minions that are his little puppets out here in this plane of existence or even demons swing by and check on him. But if they're doing what he wants them to do and they're doing his will, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> of course he's not going to bother them and waste time on them. The ones that he is going to target, <clears throat> pardon me, are those that are in the word, seeking God's face, seeking his truth, pursuing God through the word and prayer and sharing with others and about God's business because where Satan is concerned, that's an interference for him and his agenda. He doesn't want you helping him. He just wants you helping God. That's his, to him, that's, we are his enemy. Well, that's just a point of fact. <clears throat> we are warned by Jesus, by Paul, by John, by Luke, James, that the devil is very crafty and that he is constantly seeking those he can knock down. So one of his subtleties that he utilizes, and, and I just shared with you that I, I think I need to, to uh, pray through the Spirit and examine this carefully to make sure that I'm not doing this, and I, I, I think that I'm already on that precipice where I may be sharing that too much of this. The older lady, every time you got near her, it was just, everything was wrong in life. Everything was wrong in life. It was the electricity. It was the electrician. It was this and that and the other thing. And complaining on weather. And so in backtracking and reexamining, I am, I am finding that I am walking that that line and, and the way he, he likes to, the enemy, like when I say he, I'm talking about the devil. The way he likes to subtly get us along that precipice is to get you unraveling to others. It could be brothers and sisters within the body of Christ, the church body. Um, you don't want to pray to God and, and dump on him like he's a complaint department. I'm sure that you don't want to do that. But when you start to unload this stuff with others and it, it's it, the subtlety that he, that is used is that you think it's just something that you have in common with someone else that they're aware of. Um, you know, there's some within my class group, there's uh, other veterans, other Marines. So you find some common ground to speak with them about. And it seems to be just general conversation, but then in re-examination, you're unleashing a whole lot of complaining. 
And once you get in there, it's not just about the things that you all had in common when you were in the military. It starts to unravel and turn into anything and everything. So, brothers and sisters, I share this with you because I truly, truly caution you in that the enemy, when he comes and he, and he does come and he will come, is to separate us from our brothers and sisters and from our Heavenly Father. And one of his subtle ways to do that is to get us to start complaining and griping about things. And what happens when you start doing that is, I think I used the analogy with you all before, it's, it's a slippery slope. And you hit that slope and off you go. You go down, I mean, this is some slick, slick mud, and then you start to slide, and you start sliding faster and faster and faster and faster. And then you hit the bottom, and it's just um, just a pool of muck and mire, and you roll around in it, and you can't get up. You have great difficulty, and you think that you're, now you're stuck. Uh, until you reach up and the Lord in his mighty righteous right hand grabs onto you, you grab onto him and he pulls you up. Brothers and sisters, you got to be aware of these things that are coming all the time. And I share it with you because it is a reality. It is real. And it's not something that's just made up. The enemy wants you to be caught up in these things. The design and desire is to separate you from our Heavenly Father. But here's, here's the ticket. Here's the golden ticket for you. That is what he puts in your mind. And if you notice that everything, when you go back and you, you go, go through the Bible, historically, the separation that was of God or that took place, the nation of Israel was turning their back. And refused. And there is one time in history where it was given, and the scriptures note this, that there was a, a dry season and God wasn't dealing well with the nation of Israel. I mean, he was, they, they had turned their back and gone into such derisive behavior, not only with one another, but neighbors, other peoples, they were idol-worshiping, false deities. They weren't even talking to God. They weren't even doing anything that they had been taught. They were not following God's tenets and his precepts at all. At all. And they were in... That season. And then you have the prophets that come. As you had with Ezekiel. And I'm going to remind you of this. Because let me. And the reason I do this. And I, the reason I'm referring to this. As often as I do. Is that we find this nation. 
this nation that I served, and I served time in the military with them, that when we turn our backs on this God, our Heavenly Father, and then we want to shake our fists and put the blame on him, and we try, it, that's always the way that we, we walk. Think about it. Our way. Always somebody else must have done it. I couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done it. It had to be somebody else. Somebody else had to do it. And when you have things like natural disasters that take place and and things, so on and so forth, is, and then you have, you even have, uh, and I was uh, I was actually viewing a program, and um, I think I've shared this with you before. I don't actually have a TV, so there's certain things I stream, and then part of this came up, and it was not a. Um, this enlightened me further, and I've shared this with you before, is that God and the Holy Spirit will use anything and everything to be able to communicate with us. He uses direct words from the Bible. He uses, he uses billboards, or maybe you see a picture or something that remind you. Uh, I've actually had several things take place where I saw an advertisement on a television that was in the window of a store, which then took me to a billboard, which then took me to a sign, which then took me to where I was supposed to go. Um, God works that way sometimes. And you have to have to be aware that in this plane of existence that we're in, we don't, there's many of us that, that don't pay attention to God the way we used to. And this is what Paul is sharing in many ways, when he talks, uh, you can find this in Ephesians uh, 3. Paul says that things were not revealed to people of other generations. Talking about us, because we turn our back on God, we don't pay attention to God, we don't listen to God. And when Ezekiel went out to the valley of the dry bones... And I remind you this because this is in the last verse. Uh, this is actually in um, this is in thirty-seven, verse eleven. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bodies are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. What does that mean? That means that they, we are cut off for our parts. They decided to stop talking to God. They turned their back on God. They gave up their hope. Our hope is lost. We are cut off for our part. 
They believed they had no hope. They believed God was gone. They believed that everything that was happening bad to them was somehow God. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. And God will never do that. God will never just stop loving you when we turn our backs and the devil grabs on and he gets that festering, growing, cankerous, cancerous growth in your mind, believing that God this and God, no, 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 no. Understand, remember, blame, condemnation, and all negativity comes from one place and one place only, and that comes from the accuser. That is a pseudonym for Satan, the devil. Prince of the air, the prince of this earth, the prince of darkness. That is, that are, those are many of his pseudonyms. And I shared with you before that all through the Old Testament, that's what they used to call him, the accuser. Not until we get into the book of Chronicles do we find that they call him Satan. That people always called him the accuser. That's what he does. He accuses, he blames, he points his finger, and he gets you so caught up in things that are untrue. His other pseudonym is called the liar. And Jesus pointed that out, and the Pharisees didn't get it. And he said, "You, of course you don't understand the truth. Jesus, the truth, the word of God, standing right before them and sharing with them. And of course, they didn't understand anything he was saying, and they complained about the parabolic speech he used, but they didn't understand it because they had no truth in them. And he told them so. He said, of course, you don't understand what I tell you because the truth is before you, but you don't understand the truth because you speak the language of your father. And your father is a liar, and he has been a liar from the beginning, a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And that's the language you speak. And his native tongue is lies, deception, untruth. And your father is the devil. Well, that set them off, of course. Of course it did. Anything that Jesus said truth-wise set them off. And that's all he ever did was share the truth. Brothers and sisters, we need to be very cautious. Even when we, we speak to other people, yeah, you didn't, you're not laying the complaints out to God, but you're, you lay this out with other people and you have the, um, what, what Satan loves to do, and I told you this, he loves to use these little subtleties and get us to believe that we are doing one thing when in fact we are doing exactly what he wants us to do. And he wants us to be complaining, griping, and be caught up in that, which, truthfully, when you look at it and you examine, what are, what are complaints? Complaints are usually exaggerated facts and issues, and many times related to untruths, not always, but many times, and... You think that you're talking to somebody, as I was sharing 
you know, the guys that might have been in the same military branch that you were in, so they, you think that they understand this or they'll understand that, and you start talking about it, and then before the conversation gets too far in it, you're realizing that it's just full of complaints. And that slippery slope you go down, you get caught up down there. Once you get caught up in that, you hit that mire down there in the bottom of the hill, you're just caught up in it and you waller around in it. And then you start you getting all sort of regretting and then you start getting all sorts of attitude. And then you start really, really getting covered up in that nasty, sticky, slimy junk. And it's a whole lot like red clay or some states have that uh, clay mud it's pretty sticky it's very slick once it gets wet but the thing of it is that it sticks and then it just seems to ball up and you can't really move it just more and more adds on and gets heavier and heavier and heavier and that's so many of those little subtle ways that we get caught up in and you slide down and then once you get down to the bottom and you're trying to get out on your own, you can never do it on your own. Always going to need help. It just seems to collectively stick. It gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And then you feel like you can't do anything or go anywhere or, and then people do and then you start hearing this oh my joy has been robbed the devil robbed my joy I didn't go to church Sunday because the devil robbed my joy I didn't go to prayer meeting because I just didn't feel like going it, it wasn't in me well of course not because you gave that joy of the Lord away you gave the attitude to him and now you've got his attitude and his attitude is to keep you separated from brothers and sisters and keep you separated from the truth <clears throat> I had this issue that was going on very close and relative and it had to do with others that were around me and had me examining them and this little white noise thing was going on so that I was going to be antagonistic whenever they got around. I wasn't this and I wasn't going to do that. And boy, wait until that happens and I'm going to do this and that. Well, here's what the Holy Spirit was reminding me of and shared with me really early this morning. When we start to examine things and declare, well, what if, and what if, and what if, what if, what if, what if? Well, here's the thing. God's got another title besides great physician, heavenly father, redeemer, the mender of all things broken, which is exactly what he is. The great I am, first and last, the Alpha, the Omega, Ancient of Days, all those things that God is. And I, I think I've shared that list of his pseudonyms, which all speak to his character. 
But in this plane of existence, we have, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I can't get up there? What if I can't get around there? What if I can't go through there? What if I can't, what if I, what if I, my father, my heavenly father, and I fully share with you, and he definitely wants to be, my God is the God of even if. So you go ahead and you declare that what if, and what if, what if, what if. Well, even if God still holds my hand, even if God is still with me, it doesn't matter how high the mountain, how deep the valley, how wide the sea, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate me from the love of my father. And he tells us that. He reminds us of that. He gives us that in his word, his promise, his infallible truths that are found in the Bible. His infallible truths. What does that mean? Everything he says in his word is truth. Everything that I share with you, brothers and sisters, is truth that comes from my heavenly father. Things that I share with you and the reason he allows me to share them with you is because it comes through him anyway. It's his truth and his word and his knowledge that I share. I am about my father's business. And my father is the God of even if. The devil wants you to be caught up in this. Well, what if you get up there and you can't do this? What if you get around there and you can't get there? What if you go down there and you can't get there? What if you cross that ocean and then uh, this happens, that happens, this happens? My God says this. Even if you cross that sea, I am there with you. Even if you go into that valley that seems so dark, I'm with you. Even if you go into this seemingly great battle and these things that are coming are from all around you, I'm with you. Don't ever doubt me because I am with you. Whithersoever thou goest, I am with you. And I've shared this with you a number of times. He's not talking about a physical location from, <clears throat> from my desk where I am now, going out to the front room to take care of my animals. <clears throat> He's with me here. He's with me there. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about emotional locations as well. When we're on that high mountaintop of elation and glee and joy and happiness, happy, happy, joy, joy, and dancing around and we're with friends or with family and all that. And then there comes along a time when you lose somebody that is very dear to you and close to you <clears throat> and loving and they pass from this plane of existence and you, you get sad. And you, you're down there, and God knows these things. God knows all these things. He, brothers and sisters, he made us. He is our heavenly father. He watches over us, and he knows that things make us sad. He doesn't want us to be that way. But when we go down into that, that valley of despair and desperation and things, 
is there. My God of even if, even if we're down there in that dark and it seems like a bubbling pit of oil blackness, he's there. Just grab onto that righteous right hand, that strong righteous right hand, and he walks. He walks with us there. David shared with us in, in the book of Psalms. That no matter where he went, no matter where he went, if he went up on the mountaintop, he was there. If he went into the valley of darkness, and he even, he even mentions shale. Shale. What is that? Well, that's the word he used for hell. The word for hell. He's even there. He's even there. No matter if we go, as David writes it in his song, Doesn't matter if it's on the mountain, in the valley, in hell, or if we try to flee across the widest sea, he is there. Everywhere David turns, everywhere David goes, everywhere he went in his mind, wherever he went, God is there. He is there with us. He is there with us. And this is um, we read this in our sermon. Uh, the the pastor shared this with us, and it's um, it's something I should mark us constantly in practice. But this is one of the things that. believers the Jewish faith and what they what they would do is is Psalm 145 three times a day and I'm only guessing that they would do that in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening before bed but three times a day <clears throat> they would share this with Shema and this is David's Psalm 145 I will extol thee, my God, O my King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. This is one thing that I've shared with you before, is that there is no way that you can measure God's in comparison to what we have here. And this is what we do constantly. You're walking in this plane of existence. You're constantly trying to figure God out and compare him to what we are or are about or have around us in this plane of existence. Not doable because, as God tells us in his word, 
His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And his love is just, it's unmeasurable. His resources are unmeasurable. I've shared with you before that for me, <clears throat> this vision that he gave me, which is so beautiful, is going into his treasury, which is, for my perception and for me, it's the word of God. And being able to go into it, it was so great and so massive. An angel had to open the door for me. I couldn't even get it open. I remember this is a vision. God is sharing this with me. And once I go in, <clears throat> it's so bright. And I cannot see the back wall. I can't see the wall to my left. I can't see the wall to my right. And I look up and I can't even see the ceiling. But all the shelves throughout the whole building are full of gems, precious metals, and everything is bright and shiny and beautiful. And it allows me to take a basket and to take, go to any of the shelves. And I put my arm as far as I can in and I pull out these precious metals and gems and I fill the basket. And I leave, but as I'm leaving and I look over my shoulder, I just see that that shelf that I just pulled empty is now bubbling and all the, it's refilled again. What God is showing me or what he showed me there and what I'm sharing with you is that God's resources cannot be tapped to emptiness. There is an endless, endless supply of his resources that he will pour out onto us. And he tells us, the scripture tells us, he says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out my blessings on they that love the Lord. You love God, you are about his precepts, you, and you are about his business and you're sharing I just had my thumb in James. <clears throat> I love the Lord. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that waveth is like a wave in the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Okay. I had my thumb in that page for that very delivery. In faith, brothers and sisters. And when Jesus tells us about the faith, the grain of the mustard seed, and then, of course, the disciples got all sorts of blah, 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 blah. Increase our faith, increase our faith, increase our faith. Not realizing that what they were asking, first of all, 
Jesus also told me, it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't. And that mountains and the things that Jesus is talking about, I believe is very, there's an analogy there. there it was metaphorical speech and the analogy is that many of these mountains and the things that we push up and we devise, those mountains are really not a physical mountain. Although I'm not going to diminish the power and the authority that my Lord God has. But brothers and sisters, I firmly believe that Jesus was not talking about the physical mountain. He was talking about the mental mountains that we tend to push up from molehills and very trivial things. And we push them up into these great mountains and decide that we can't get around them. Or these great obstacles that we press up and we make to be something that they're not. And this falls back to, again, and, and it's very real. I mean, it's an applicable analogy when you talk about the spies that went into the promised land. And they came back with a bad report. <clears throat> Except for Caleb and Joshua, they came back and said, Yes, let's go. God promised we can do this. Yes, let's go. God promised let's do this. And then the other ones were convinced by the ones that saw the giants that God wasn't able to do it. <clears throat> and they weren't going to be able to do it <clears throat> because they convinced them otherwise. So the bottom line is this, that they diminished God <clears throat> instead of magnifying God. Pardon me. <clears throat> Sorry. So instead of magnifying God and seeing him for the greatness that he has and that he is, they diminished God. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. They will squash us. They will destroy us. They will drive us out. We can't do it. And what they were really saying is that God can't do it. God isn't big enough. These giants were pretty big. God cannot do it. That's the truth of what they were saying. Although it was disguised another way. So brethren and sisters, hear me when I say this, and I'm going to finish up here in Ezekiel. And this is the word of the Lord as he's talking to all of us as Ezekiel was prophesying to the dry bones. Further, 37, 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. <clears throat> Again, I share with you Ezekiel talking to the nation of Israel. And that they had given up their hope. 
Much like the negative report that came out of the promised land, God promised these things. God promises so many things to us, but the devil loves to work in that realm of dark shadows. Such a liar, such a coward. And he gets us to believe that God is not capable. God is not big enough. God is not strong enough. Oh, we're a we're a we're a we're a what is going to happen to me now? Let me talk to all these other people and, and lay all these things that are going on with them. And, and uh, I'm going to gripe and complain to them as if they have anything to, to do about it <clears throat> or they can do anything about it. No. So what's the point? The point is that it reinforces negativity in your mind and then it can rub off and cause negativity in their minds. So relative to that, are you uplifting? Are you giving good things to them? Are you being truthful? Are you sharing truth with them? Are you sharing the word with them? Are you sharing the truth with them? Are you sharing the promises of God? Truth, knowledge, and wisdom as it comes from the Lord God. Pardon that interruption. The, uh, I failed to turn the ringer down on my other electronic device. I apologize for that. But <clears throat> the point of it is, is that that is that slippery slope I shared with you and that complaint, it drives negativity. It's all about negativity and everything about God is good. God is great and he is with us whithersoever we go. And that means everywhere. And we talk about what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Well, <clears throat> all those what ifs that you give out to everything and everyone else, I'm telling you this. My God is the God of even if. Doesn't matter. Even if that mountain is high, he's holding on. And you will get to that mountaintop because he's with you. Even if you are in that valley, he sees you there. Just like Hagar declared. She was out there in the in the wilderness and she was on her own with her baby because Sarai kicked her out after trying to interfere with God's plan, trying to take it upon herself to do it because she didn't believe at first. And you see her name is in Hebrews 11, not what they, I've shared with you that theological wizards like to call it the hall of faith. But one of my mentors pointed out that all the names that are listed there, if you go back and the history of those individuals, you will see that they started out with little to no faith. And it's not Jesus that is going to make your faith stronger as the disciples declared and hollered out to him, make us strong, make us, give us more faith, give us bigger faith, make it, make it bigger. Well, he doesn't do that. What increases your faith is this thing I've shared with you some time ago. It's called temperance where your faith is hammered and, and 
steeled and made powerful and strong by intemperances caused by heat. And I've shared with you this, um, I got this to honor my father, but along here in the Holy Spirit reminded me, it says forged in fire. And it's got the red band around it because my father was a firefighter. And I believe, and I shared at his funeral, I said, God has a special chore for him because of what he did. And, um, but the Holy Spirit reminded me that whatever you are and however you are and your, your faith is increased because you are forged in fire. Brothers and sisters, that temperance of your faith comes from tests and things that are hardened steel and made really great steel are because they are forged, first of all, in fire. And then they are quenched. And this is what happens with us. If, you, if you've ever witnessed the making of a blade or in steel, it's made hot, then it's pounded, and it goes through this reformation and reshaping, and then they quench it. And that quenching is where the temperance comes from. So we are like that. We have this heat that is coming at us, and then there might be a hammering, and there might be this reshaping, which, which happens. But then when we're quenched, In the spirit, we are strengthened. We are made strong. We are like fine jewelry. When it's made, it's turned into a molten, poured into a mold, reshaped and polished and buffed and, and gems. How do you think gems are formed? Diamonds are, are formed. First of all, it's that fallacy from coal to something. They, they, Diamonds are an elemental thing. Coal is an elemental thing, and they're two different things. You can't get one from the other, but all of this fallacy that says that it's all made from that and done this. But here's the truth. In the depths of the earth, there is great heat, there's great pressure, and a lot of this stuff that comes from there is pushed up over time. And you get these gem hunters that start digging around and they start digging this stuff up and they find these things and they're exquisite. <clears throat> well, they're formed by heat and pressure and change and then they take them into these diamond cutters, gem cutters and all this. It's all, they're all reshaped and reformed. <clears throat> and they come out beautifully. Well, everything about God is making things beautiful. And he does. Just keep in mind that that heat and pressure is making you into something beautiful and powerful, strong, but oh, so beautiful. And it takes that. So no complaining, no griping. If you have something to share with somebody, make it not a complaint-wise. Make it truth. 
make it honest, knowledgeable information that you share that comes from God. Be wise in your dealings and always, always sharing his love. Brothers and sisters, be blessed. You're in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? How Yahweh. Thank you so much. To your watch. And to your time. <laughs> I feel you here now. I feel your arms around me, Abba Yahweh. Oh. So overwhelming. The ancient scrolls talk about this as your time, your watch. I feel it. I know it. Thank you, Father. Inviting me in to share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom to any that would hear the words, but listen to the message, Father. Listen to what's being said, not only hearing, and then go to your word and seek. Seek you. Seek your wisdom. Thank you, Father. Oh. Pardon me for just a minute. I gotta, I gotta clean up some of this waterworks. Okay, so let me clarify this for some of you that are listening and are hearing me falling apart. That's okay. You remember, not too long ago, I shared some with you about the different watches now, the watches of the day, because Jesus had, it was referenced in several of the gospel books about the various watches. And how the course of that changed with the oncoming of the Roman controlling watches were established during parts of the day and they were set and those that were on that particular watch were relieved by another watch and then it went in but uh, when the Romans came along and occupied much of Judea. And they were in charge, if you remember. They were the ones in uh, political control, if you will, the, uh, the occupying forces when Jesus was crucified. You also remember 
that the Roman governor was the only one that Jesus that believed Jesus was innocent and should be released and set free. So I'm bringing up the point of the watches because in this hour that I sit and that I'm with you is the hour that the Holy Spirit woke me, roused me, and brought me to this study table. And having me share with you. And this is referenced as being God's watch. The early morning hours, early morning hours, are the quietest in this plane of existence that we are on. They're the quietest times Little to no traffic. Businesses are closed. Rarely will you find anyone roused and moving around. Normally. Might have an occasional early morning dog walker letting their pets out. But this is God's watch. And he invited me into this with him. And I'm just so, and <laughs> pardon me, I'm still a little, a little bit rattled because I can feel him moving around me and knowing that he is here with me now as I share with you and I feel him practicing my Lord's presence is an exercise one that has been given and shared of us that in my class that we need to be doing this. All of us need to be doing this is practicing God's presence, inviting him into whatever space we're occupying and sharing, spending time with him not only practicing his presence, but just enjoying his hearness. Remember, I've shared that word with you before too, and his hearness is what keeps overwhelming me. And I would hope, oh, pardon me, I would hope that each and every one of you would be able to experience because this is the thing that God 
really, really wants to have with each and every single person that wants to be a true Christian. And remember that I keep, I, I mention this fairly often, the label heads and self-proclaimed because they can call themselves whatever they want. Just like the pharisaical tyrants that crucified our Lord. And Peter called them out later on and he, had, he called them out to their face, which was really irritating to them. And Paul called them this later. Of course, we know Paul's exercise and all this, but called these pharisaical tyrannical whitewashed individuals called them out for what they were and brothers and sisters I challenge that they are in existence today and there are many that are doing the same thing today claiming to be one thing but their true identity is revealed in their actions and they are called of their father as I am called of mine. And we were talking about this in our class, which is really, it was really good. And I was really enjoying it. My two pastoral leaders at my church, what they, the term executive pastor and our lead pastor, really dynamic speakers. I love listening and hearing them and the other, the elders that come forward and share scripture with us time, but dynamically, just absolutely loving the lead pastor and the executive pastor. And I guess I, I'm, I'm only surmising because of my military time that they call him the executive pastor because he's the He's like the executive officer on board a ship or executive officer in a military organization. He's the second in command, essentially. You have the commanding officer, then you have the executive officer. And then after that, you have company commanders and so forth and so on. But we're not going to go so far down the line. But we were sharing, talking about calling and anointing. And having to understand, and there are some even true believers that are confused by this sort of thing. And they don't quite understand, but there is a definitive difference between a calling and an anointing. And there are many that are confused by this. We are all called by the word of God. And we are all called to be about, about our father's business. And this is what I do. This is what I'm doing here and what I'm doing now. I've shared this with you that, that this platform, this podcast is not mine, it is his. And it was something that I felt and I could hear it being discussed by the Holy Spirit, but it was also a difficult, and I think that it was 
I think the difficulty was there, and we have to understand this, is some, uh, sometimes how God will operate for us to get us to, um, and I found scripture to reinforce this thought process is that certain things go a certain way so that we talk to God, that we don't, that we're, um, I want to be cautious in, in how I say this because then there's going to be those individuals out there going to get their knickers all knotted up. They're going to sit uncomfortably. They're not going to want to just pay attention because they're only hearing words and they're they're not listening, so they're going to get all agitated. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, God allows things to happen so that we really are in a position that we must talk to him and we must turn to him and we must rely on the love of our father and his hand instead of trying to go on our own. Pardon me just one minute. Excuse me, that's part of the effect that takes place when he envelops me in his presence, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, this thing that we have, this calling, is not the same as anointing. We're all called to serve the Lord. We're all called to be about our father's business. I'm about my father's business in this way. But I believe also that he has anointed me in this because I feel he draws me into other places and research and the knowledge and the wisdom that he shares with me. He draws me into that. And these, these are um, some people will call the uh, anointings. They've been termed different things by different individuals as the gifts. But um, if you remember, that I, the, the best way that I can describe this is, is in Jesus, Emmanuel Christ, or Joseph. Now, if you don't recognize that name, the first part, you probably pick up on it. But here's the thing. Jesus's name, not reminiscent of those that you have around you and, and others are the first, middle, and last name. Eh, Jesus had that similarly, but every part of Jesus's name meant a specific thing. and could actually be used by itself. And if you look through the scriptures, you will find that it was and several times, except the bar Joseph I throw in there so you kind of understand who he is and, and their culture, what they used to do, that we're talking about Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ, bar Joseph. Bar Joseph is that his earthly father, 
was Joseph, of course. And Jesus was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. As Joseph and Mary were called there for the census and taxation purposes, But Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, Emmanuel, God in us, God with us, Christ, anointed of God, bar Joseph. That was his earthly father. Paul, and later scripture that we find in the Gospels, the New Testament, was referred to as a, a Christ. That's not wrong. And there's there's people that argue this, and I've heard them argue, oh, they're, they're oh, that's so sacrilegious, it's so blasphemous. Well, read the scriptures, okay? These are individuals that are speaking outside of truth, okay? They don't know the word. They don't know. They don't have true knowledge. So that's actually not a stretch. And it's not calling, you know, anything like as we're trying to compare him to Jesus Christ, as I've I've shared things with you that are some I'm sure their knickers are all twisted up and not and they can't even hardly stand to sit down. But anyway. It's true because he is anointed specially. Remember this, that on the road to Damascus, Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, knocked Paul off his ass into the middle of the road. Jesus walked around the animal, walked over to him and stood over Saul, stood over him. Saul, Saul, Saul. Why? persecutest thou me. Jesus, our God, that came and died for us because from that distance, he looked out here and he saw me and said, I need to die for him. I need to die for my child because I love him so I'm going to come here and I'm going to go through what I go, th I'm going to go through. I'm going to suffer through the things that I'm going to suffer through. And this governmental agency, these individuals that the nation of Israel is so adamantly hateful of, are yet the only ones that believed my truth. <laughs> isn't it kind of, isn't it very funny how we do that? And, and as I alluded to a little bit ago, that there's so many, and it, it's happening today. So you have the pharisaical tyrants that are declaring themselves to be something that they are not. In those days, it was the Pharisees that called Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin and arguing that he was a sorcerer, a wizard, a liar, and 
that he didn't know the truth and he was all these things. However, every time that Jesus spoke the truth, much like with Stephen, when Saul was there, he had these same individuals that were supposed to be religious leaders and elders. They went psychotic that when Stephen was called in front of them and stood before them, much like they called Jesus to do, and I'm surprised that they didn't do it with Jesus, but they they handled Jesus a different way and that this they brought him to the government because see, they didn't want to crucify Jesus. They didn't want to have it on their hands. They wanted to, hey, 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 we'll, we'll get him arrested. And when they went to the garden, you had the Romans and you had the Herodians and you had the temple guards. And then you had a few of those elders that were went and they all ganged up on him in the garden. And as Jesus told him, he said, what are you doing? I was with you nearly every single day in the synagogue, in the temple, and you had plenty of opportunity then, but now you come in the middle of the night like cowards, and you come like you're like thugs, and you're coming over here to gang up on me in the middle of the night, and there's nobody around except for a handful of my disciples and me. But here you are with all of these guards with swords and shields and stabs and staves and, and all this going on. And you're coming out here like thieves in the night, coming like thugs. And these were, much like we have today, the religious leaders that are blinded to anything except their own value. And we were talking about this in class last night, talking about the validation. Where's your validation? Where does your validation come from? If it comes from yourself and you, or you put more credence in what others say about you than in listening to what God says about you, there is a problem and there will be a problem. Correct it. Correct it. And here's what was shared last night. I'm going to share it with you because this is absolutely truth. It's power. And remember, I've shared with you too. Oftentimes I, I invite you and I tell you that you need to try my spirit. As we're told in 1 John chapter 4, he tells us to try the spirit in all things because there are those that come to lie, cheat, steal, and destroy. As Jesus told us, the deceiver, the liar, the accuser, Satan comes to do. That's all he chooses to do. And there are those in this plane of existence that are doing that today, just like the Pharisees did. So I invite you again to try my spirit. Pray the guidance of the Holy Spirit to see, and you will hear if you're following and pay attention, that I tell you only the truth. It's his truth, not my truth. I've shared that with you too. You can't bend the truth and you can't alter the truth and adjust it so that it's a little bit more your truth than anybody else's truth. It doesn't work that way. Truth is truth, period. 
And if you're doing God's work and you're following God's calling and you are anointed by God to do a specific thing, then you're speaking his truth and the truth and nothing but the truth. And that's the way it works. So the sharing that Micah was doing with us last night in class was very, very powerful. And I love what he was talking about us, about to us, about our calling. And in our calling, this is what he was sharing with us. And this is the absolute truth. That when God calls, if you are a true believer and you are a Christian, and when I say this and use these terms, remember, not a label head, not a self-proclaimed, but a true believer and a true Christian, then you will do what God calls you to do and you will be anointed by him for a certain thing to do in your calling. We're all called, but he has certain tasks, you might say. Now, the only one, there's only, he can't make you do these things. And God won't make you do these things. We have a very polite God. He is indeed very polite. And you have those individuals that will say, well, why doesn't God just this? Why doesn't God do that? And why can't he just make it so nobody nobody dies in a tornado? Nobody nobody dies in an earthquake. Nobody does this in a, in a tsunami or tidal wave or anything. Why does God, why, 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 why? Remember where all that comes from. I shared this with you before. That's things, all the negativity and all the blame and all the accusations come from only one place and one place only. And it's not God. The accuser, the blamer, the prince of the air, the prince of this world, the prince of earth, the prince of darkness, these are all pseudonyms and other names for Satan. And accusations and blame only come from him. And Jesus tells us, he only comes in, he breaks in to rob, steal, destroy, and kill. And we're not necessarily talking physicality wise but that's what he does to these things and I've shared with you before that I've had people that that tell me or share that oh I was robbed of my joy I have just my joy has been robbed for the last two or three days and I just I just can't I don't I haven't been to a Bible study in a few days and I haven't been to church in a couple weeks and I can't this and I can't that and I can't this and I can't that it just well, remember, I've also told you that my response to that. The only one that has that in control is you. And if you're not praying the strength of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and holding on to those things that God gives to you, and you stand there when the enemy or his demons or his minions come and you just stand there with your hands open and, and 
outstretch your arms so that they can take it out of your grasp and run off with it, you think that they're not going to? And you let them? They didn't rob you of anything. You gave it away. Brothers and sisters, this is part of that spiritual warfare that the Bible tells us that we are in and that we are warned is here and around us. That spiritual warfare is exactly what goes on when you are trying to walk with God. You're trying to be in his walk. You're, you're chasing his word and you want to be closer with him, which is exactly why I'm thankful for what goes on in, in my life. Good, bad, whatever. And there are things that I have to really adjust in my line of thought because this is what the Lord was sharing the other day is that in this calling and the anointing that God has given me, we all have to be very cautious and that we don't fall into that complaining category and be of that ilk that that's all they do all day long even when you're not talking spiritually with a brother or sister and dealing with something specifically in this plane of existence and I find sometimes talking to other members in the military that they were also veterans or they are also veterans and that they spent time in the military maybe not necessarily in the marines but in other branches, and they understand, they, they relate to certain things. And I find that I have been, and I'm re-examining myself for this and, and putting myself in check because of it, but complaining about things like the VA and the things that are going, you can't be doing that. Complaining is complaining, whether you're talking to them and you think, you see, this is, this is some of that subtlety that the devil uses guide you into that kind of conversation. Then before you know it, you're spending the whole time in getting a ride to the VA clinic and the whole time that you're en route to that place, you've done nothing but complain about things. And then it stems off into another direction complaining about something else. And this is, this is the subtlety that Satan likes to use to draw you into things that you shouldn't be doing. And this is important. This is in my study and reading. I'm going to share some scriptures and some things that I'm going to tell you specifically. And I've shared with you before. I'm going to share with you again. So what we need to do and what the Lord tells us is that we need to trust him enough to let things happen without striving to predict or control them. And this goes along with what Micah was sharing with the class. We are the ones that control whether we're going to respond to God's calling and his anointing or we're going to reject it and not do. We're the ones that control. God does not manipulate us in any way, shape, or form. We are not robots and he does not make us do anything. He wants us to do it because we desire to do it. He wants us to be in a relationship with him because he, want, he desires that we want to do it. 
I want to spend time with God. I want to practice his presence. I want to enjoy his hearness like was happening this morning. And here he comes again. <laughs> going to wrap his arms around me and I'm going to get to blubbering. So this is, this is what we need to do. We decide that. As I alluded to earlier, is that why doesn't God just, why doesn't God just, why doesn't this? Because God is a polite God. He is our loving God. He is our heavenly father. And he doesn't make anything except all things. But he doesn't make us to do anything. He wants our desire to be voluntary. And again, back, well, what about the earthquake? What about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about it? Some of the analogies I've used, like the bottomlands where I was living before, people would go to the bottoms. Well, here's the thing, that if you go to the meteorological historical charts and you go to the uh, geological charts and you see things that are, you see patterns that are there. It's just like they talk about all this I'm not going to get into it because people's knickers are going to get all twisted up by by laying some of this out. And uh, then you're going to sit very uncomfortably. So sit and, and just listen to what I'm saying and, and pay attention. Hear and listen. Because what I'm sharing comes from facts and you can look this stuff up. But anyway, people that move and decide that they're going to homestead in the bottoms, and that's a certain place where... You have the, um, ah, the other day I was going to share it with you and the word just came back to me. The emulsion that comes from the river into the bottoms make it a very fertile place to grow. And where I used to live, people found this to be that because of the emulsions that come up from the rivers and flood that, it was so rich to grow crops and they would grow crops. But then they decided that they didn't want to have to commute to work and they didn't want to have to bring their equipment from someplace that was set apart so they moved into the bottoms except they knew i believe that i i believe that that most of them realized and knew already and if they looked at these charts and they looked at these graphs the meteorological reports and all these things, they would see a cyclic episode that takes place at the bottoms and they flood. And I experienced a couple of those when I was living there, not in the bottoms, but in the area. And when the that flood and they, they would call it, um, they called it the flood of the decade. Well, yeah, that's because in that particular area, just about every decade there was a flood there and you could go back to the old charts and you see that it happened. And it happened cyclically and pretty much regularly. So those people that moved to that location, why did God allow that to No, why did they move there when they knew that things were not going to be so good when it came to that time of flooding? But they moved there anyway. And they chose to do so.
And so losing all their equipment, losing their homes, and sadly, there were some that even lost lives. I lived through those places. I lived in and around those places, and I lived through some of those things. And we have individuals that are gonna complain and shake their fists at God, just like when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they chose to shake their fists and turn their back on God. He was leading them to a promised place, but because they chose to want to stay in and worship and pray to false gods and deities, and they chose to shake their fists at God and turn their back on God and not believe that God was going to be capable of fulfilling his promises. And the spies came out of the promised land where he was leading them to and came back with a negative report after the 12 spies that went into that land that only two declared that God is big enough to fulfill what he told us he would do. Joshua and Caleb. What were they doing? What were they practicing? All those naysayers and the negativity. They were following that thing I, I shared with you yesterday. They were declaring, well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if we go in there and they... and. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers and we go in there and these giants are going to just, they're going to stomp on us. They're going to squash us like the grasshoppers we are. Well, let's go into, what was that statement? We saw ourselves as grasshoppers and we didn't see that our magnanimous, mighty God who promised to deliver us in this place is going to do so. No, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers and all this negative that we're telling you about is overshadowing the God of even if, even if we go into this land, or what if the giants are there and they come at us? Well, even if they do, God is with you. What if this, even if, what if that, even if? I'm going to share this with you and bringing that up. We're going to go to David's song. The man after God's own heart. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before. Lay thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? 
or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, even if thou art there. Yes, I'm paraphrasing here. If I make my bed in hell, shale, even if thou art there. What if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea? Even if I do, you are there. And now this is where David starts to declare the even if. My God of even if. Further in verse 10. Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Brothers and sisters, my soul knows my soul knows that no matter where I go, what if, what if, what if, what if, my God is even if. Even if I go to these places, he is with me. And some of these things that David describes I've shared with you are not geographic locations, they're emotional locations. In our emotions, we are taken up to the mountaintop. We're so happy because, oh, my grandchild, my, my grandchild is born. My, my child is getting married. So many of these things. I'm so proud of my children. Wow, look at these things that they're accomplishing. And yes, I am. But then along with that too, come the valleys. And there are some that take place. But no matter where I am on that mountaintop of elation, joy, happiness, God is there. And even if I go down the other side and I start to descend into this valley of despair because someone close to me has passed from this plane of existence and gone on to heaven, which happened not too awful long ago, and I was, I was truly saddened. God is with me, even if he is with me. Even if is with me. My God of even if. What if I went down there and it's really dark and I'm feeling very, even if God is with me. No matter where we're going, and this is what David was describing. And we also... I'm going to go back where I'm, I'm backtracking here. I'm going to, because this is, this is applicable. 
There are so many things that David writes about that are so wonderful, beautiful. And this is, is very applicable to my God of even if. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So what if there's turmoil and tumult and these things that are going on around me? And what if life all around me is has become a mulstrum? Remember, I shared that word with you before. It's just everything is so, it's, it's frightening and scary. Well, what if? My God of even if makes me to lie down in the calm, cool, green pastures. And he stands beside me so that none of that bothers me. And the waters are still and calm and sweet to drink. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if these things are going around, he strengthens me, he lifts me up, and he holds on by his righteous right hand. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God, if even if, is with me. And his rod and staff, they comfort me. Remember, I've shared this before with you, that that rod and the staff that the shepherd carries is not to whack on the sheep to guide them anywhere. Shepherds don't do that. Good shepherds don't rely on that. And God does not do that. And he is, and Jesus is referred to that in the word. He is a good shepherd. I've shared this with you before. My shepherd acquaintances, and I knew some, I was absolutely amazed and I didn't realize that sheep would do this. They don't use anything like that. And the places that they stayed overnight in their traveling together and they would travel three and four flocks together. And the fold that they stayed in was open and they would just set a watch there and the sheep all went in and they got ready to leave and travel the shepherds would step out and they would call their sheep. In the length of time that they all had been doing this and sharing this time, not one time did they ever have a flock member get mixed up. Never. They would call the sheep and each member of their flock would come out to their call, to their voice. Never mixed up. Never problem. He is our good shepherd. We should know his voice. My God, even if I hear your voice, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over.
our Father calls us all, but he anoints us, us differently. And that cup running over, that's because God tells us in this book, his Bible, the holy word of God is truth, his infallible truths, his promises. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on those that love the Lord. You love God. You don't follow along with what everyone else is saying and you definitely are not following the Sanhedrin tyrannical leaders that are declaring things that are untrue and you're following the truth. You're seeking his truth. You're following his way. Those windows are gonna open and you are going to get blessings poured out on you and you are not going to be able to contain them. And God tells us his bounty does not run out. There are so many, you can't even begin to imagine. I've shared the vision of his treasury. This that I'm sharing with, this comes from his treasury, the treasury of truth, knowledge, and wisdom from God. Further reading, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. Yes, brothers and sisters, that is what God tells us we have coming. Stay in his precepts. Obey his tenets. I believe I've shared the definition of each of those with you. Pretty sure I have. But in case I had not, so God's precepts are his commandments or things that he directs us. And the definitive direction of that from the dictionary is it's a direction given as a rule of action or conduct. And we find all this in this thing that so many decide are not an instruction manual. But when you go through the Bible, you find instructions all through there on certain ways that we should behave and act toward one another. And this is some of the things that we were sharing in class that we are given instructions. We are told how to conduct ourselves. And we are told this very thing that in order to be about our father's business, we have to be telling the truth, always speaking in truth. And we need to be aware of that. And here's the other thing. 
that some people don't realize and that we touched on lightly is that in following God, we have to be aware of his tenets and leading us into what we are doing or what we should be doing. On that is his principles, the doctrine of truth. And as members of this profession, and it's interesting because in the New Testament, Paul alludes to that and he actually uses the word profession. And some people don't quite understand that but they're not looking at it, I believe, in appropriate context. And it is actually a profession. When God calls to us, he calls us, and in the definition, the profession is a vocation, that requires knowledge of some learning or a science. Brothers and sisters, if you are following the scripture, the word of God, and I, and I will argue till the cows come home on this. Yeah, there's the cows coming home. Um, we are indeed if you're in the Bible and you follow, and I've shared with you and, and offered to prove what I'm saying, but you know what? I, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to be throwing up issues in front of somebody's face to become uh, confrontational about it. But this book, the Bible. It is an instruction manual, and, and there are those individuals that declare themselves to be smarter than everyone else, and they fall back and, well, I'm a theological wizard, and I know, and I'm telling you that it's not. Well, I'm telling you that according to the word of God, and by the proofs, by the infallible truths and promises of his word, that you can go through there and find instruction. And there are many scriptures that are telling you how and what to do. And then it turns around and is supporting the contextual scriptures tell you why. There are too many places in the Bible that do that very thing and illustrate that verbally for it to be anything except an instruction manual, according to them. But however, I share that and it is telling me that this is indeed an instruction manual. As a military guy, having been an instructor and having to follow these TMs, FMs, and do things according to them by what they tell me and how they tell me, oh yes, the Bible is very much an instruction manual. Very much so. There's too many proofs. So again, back to this term profession. 
And here's a very good description because in the scriptures, we are called to be of one body, one mind, the body of Christ, the church body, and in a profession, the body of persons that are engaged in an occupation or, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, or calling. God calls us to be of one mind, one body, and he calls us for that, anoints us differently. Remember, I've shared that with you. We're all called to be in this profession, but the anointings are different. We need to trust God enough. We need to have faith in God in this. So many today seek to be self-sufficient and you have these, I've shared this with you before, these um, supposedly self-help gurus and individuals that I have heard offer this opportunity for people to follow on. Oh, yeah, they're, they're a Christian. They're a Christian self-help counselor. Well, wait a second. How can that be? Because if they are a true Christian, a true believer, then God is central and the Lord is central and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So if they're relying on themselves and you're teaching them how to do it all by themselves, then those individuals are not Christian because the Bible tells us that's exactly how we must do this and how we must practice this. And they're telling you to rely on yourself. It's all about you. You can do this. Yes, you can. Well, no, you can't. We have to learn to rely on God because we go off on these tangents. And we get ourselves all caught up in this thing. We need to train our minds, practice this thing. Train your mind to seek his help all the time and when you think that you can do it all by yourself and then you go off and try to do it you'll find out that doesn't exactly work and that it actually mucks things up a lot worse than if you had just been paying attention and brothers and sisters I know where from I speak because I have done this very thing not to swipe from Julius Caesar but yes I did and he told his grandson that very thing when he was trying to tell him to be cautious and be wary of what he does. So brothers and sisters, I do love you and I do want you to make sure that you pay attention to the word of God and that he is central. I pray for you in my going out and my coming in. Be blessed.